There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, welcoming you to another episode of the show. We got another interview for you and uh, very excited about this one. On this episode, I'm talking to Mest frontman Tony Lovato. The band just released their first record with that classic Mest lineup since 2005's Photographs. Their new record, Masquerade, is out now. This thing is killer. We talk all about the record with Tony and uh, get into all things messed with him and uh, talk to what he's up to right now. And, uh, you know, really, I don't know, had a, had a fun time talking to him, and I, and I think uh, messed fans are going to enjoy this episode. And, uh, you know, bef- before we even get into it, you know, hope you're doing well out there, and uh, thank you very much for checking out this week's episode. Just been, uh, you know, kind of hanging around the house. I, I've gone out for a few joy rides when it's been... Uh, when it's been nice out, which is uh, cool, kind of take advantage of that really cheap gas. You know, gas is cheap right now, but you really, you know, you really can't go anywhere, and you're not really supposed to go anywhere. So, you know, it's like cheap gas, but it's like, you know, you really can't utilize it. But uh, besides besides wishing I could utilize cheap gas to just go travel everywhere, yet, you know, we, we really can't do that right now, and there's really nowhere to travel to, you know, for uh, for starters. But on top of that, just kind of been doing that and really been enjoying the new Ultimate Fake Book record. This thing, uh, I don't know, it's been out a couple weeks now. And I've I've always known of Ultimate Fake Book. And I, I guess I know a couple songs here and there. Like, And I don't even think I could name any of them. But I know I've heard them. And I own, you know, different, like, you know, old samplers and stuff that have a song or two on them. Like, I definitely know if I open my iTunes right now and put an Ultimate Fake Book, I'd probably have three or four, like, random songs from them. But uh, the new the new record that's out now, I mean, this thing is so so good. I've been listening to it nonstop, and uh, you know, like, like I said, I mean, I don't, I'm not, <clears throat> you know, they've been a band who's who's been around now for, I mean, damn, I, I think they've probably been a band about twenty years. I mean, they've probably been a band as long as like the anniversary have. Um, I be, I think they're both from Lawrence, Kansas, actually. But, uh, you know, like with Ultimate Fake Book, like I don't know their music super, super well. So, I mean, I can't even tell you if it's like a true return, you know, like return to form for them. You know, if it stays, you know, really true to what the band normally does, if it's kind of a different record, you know, it's it's I don't really know because I don't really you know, I never really listened to Ultimate Fake Book all that much before. And, you know, not for any other reason, but I just never really had. But uh, either way, this new record is really, really good. It, it's been it's been what I've been listening to the most lately. So just kind of been listening to that. A couple uh, joy rides when it's been nice out, and uh, got in a couple hikes, which is nice. Good way to still be able to you know socially be you know socially distant and uh, you know be in a national forest. But uh, yeah, you know just just doing a few small things like that. But you know mostly mostly sticking around inside. And uh, doing the podcast and doing the radio show, getting stuff around. And uh, hit me up, you know, while I am in the house doing a lot of uh, interviews for the show and getting a lot of future guests on. And uh, always want to know who you would like to hear on the show. Hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. And uh, let me know who you want to hear on the show next. And also let me know what you're listening to lately. You know, I, I love that new Ultimate Fake Book. Let me know what else I should be listening to. And, uh, you know, and if you're if you're an Ultimate Fake Book fan, let me know. 
you know, like, like, is it as a, as a fan who's, you know, someone who's been a fan for a while, how do you like the new record? You know, like for me, it's kind of my first ultimate fake book record. So it's like, you know, I, I really like it, but I can't compare it to any of their other stuff, but, uh, you know, let me know how it compares to the other records for you. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's just going to be it. Just wanted to kind of, you know, let you know what I'm up to and hope you're all doing well and, uh, you know, staying uh, happy and sane out there. But uh, I will not waste any more time. We're going to get into it right now. And this was a really fun one to do. I uh, I remember hearing Mest back in 2010 was, was when I first got into them and uh, got Destination Unknown. And then I don't know from there. I, I kind of all jumbled. You know, I, I obviously discovered them uh, quite, a, quite a while after they'd broken up. But uh, I remember getting Destination Unknown. That was my first one. And uh, I, I had that before I even had a car. Um, so I, I remember walking to the gym from uh, my house to uh, the gym downtown where I live and uh, and wandering around downtown at night afterwards and uh, listening to that record quite a bit. And, uh, you know, re- really cool to do this interview and kind of think of that, you know, back back in the day, <laughs> uh, you know, 10 years ago when, when I did not have a car and I, I had to walk everywhere and uh, and I had good music, though. And, and, and I can thank Tony Lovato for that. So, uh, you know, going to talk to him about Mest and a whole lot more. So right now, here's my interview with Tony Lovato talking about the new record Masquerade right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, we are talking to Mest frontman Tony Lovato. The band recently released their latest album, Masquerade. It's with the classic Mest lineup, and it's their first record with this lineup since 2005's Photographs. We're going to talk about the new record and a little more. Tony, how are you? Good man, how are you? Doing good. I've been I've been really excited to talk about this. I mean, the new record sounds really really good. You guys, I feel like you picked off up like right where you left off. So I mean, to kind of talk for a second, you know, I know Mest has been active on and off over the last I don't know like actually for probably like the last decade or so. I I would say doing like live stuff, and uh, I know you do that sometimes with other guys. But the classic Mest lineup has been doing shows here for the last few years. You know, how'd you guys start playing together again? Like, how did that all kind of come about? Well, um, five years, I'd say about five years ago, I think. We were closing in on the five-year uh, first anniversary show that we did. Um, I was watching a Warp Tour DVD um, that I hadn't seen. I don't know if I'd ever seen it, to be honest. It was the 2003 edition when we were on it. Um and I was just watching the show and I was like, fuck, man, I wonder what it'd be like to get on stage with the guys again. You know, 10 years had passed since we had played a show together. And um, I had released a record without them called Now What You Expected that I did with um, a couple of my other buddies that I played in side projects with. And they did some mess touring with me and stuff. And, yeah, I was just like, I don't know. I wonder what it'd be like. So randomly, like that same week, my cousin Matt, who plays bass uh, in Mest, he sent me a text and was like, Hey, um, Amelie, his daughter is learning a messed song on the bass. And she wanted me to, to let you know that. And she demanded that I text you right now. <laughs> and I was, like, uh, I was like, Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, and I was like, it's where did you wrote that? I was like, cause I was, you know, I told him the same thing. watching the Warped Tour DVD, just thinking about it. And, um, I was like, what do you think it would be like to get back on stage and play a fucking show together? And he's like, <laughs> he's like it can be cool man he's like um why don't you hit up nick and i'll hit up jerry and we'll go from there and both guys were in right away and so you know we, we don't get to do a lot of shows together they're usually just 
hometown or if I get them out here to LA. Um, you know, we haven't even done the East Coast yet together, which we were planning on doing until the fucking pandemic started. <laughs> but, um, you know, we do shows here and there, but I do a lot of touring. Uh, when I tour, I have a consistent lineup that comes out with me. And, uh, you know, like, like Adrian, who's been touring with me now for over five years or so, even when we did our hometown show in Chicago, um, he played with us with the original lineup. Um, as a third guitarist and vocalist. And then um, a guy who, my buddy Jay, who sells merch for us, he also plays keyboards. He played with us too. So it's sort of a bigger, messed family now. You know, like, I mean, when you look at Green Day and now there's eight guys on stage, you know, it's sort of that version going on, which sounds great or live anyways, to be honest. It sounds awesome. Um, but yeah, man, it's just a quick phone call and we started doing some shows together, you know? And then, like, how long, like, you guys you guys played those couple shows or whatnot, like, how far into playing with them again were you like, oh, like, maybe we should record a new Mest record? Like, how long did that take before it's like, oh, shit, maybe we could do this? You know, I had already been writing uh, a new record, so to speak. Um, not necessarily the Mest record, um, but I was writing songs of the Mest style. And... I had brought it up to the guys, brought it up to Matt, and <laughs> we discussed it. But, you know, it was with the, the same concept of, like, well, fuck, we can't really do, like, a full amount of touring. And this was right before Matt had gotten another promotion at this job that he has been at now for over, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years, and um, where his schedule was a little bit more open. And we had discussed maybe being able to go out on the road and doing a quick – 10 show run something like that and once you got that promotion that sort of took away that idea and so what i was currently doing at the time was a project called london falling and um it was pretty much going to be if i were to write the next mess record what it would have been um but considering the the touring wouldn't be able to be there fully i was like maybe i should just release it as um, under a different name and be able to tour on it properly because that's how you promote new records these days. You know, it's not really like MTV, not radio play, not shit like that. Not that we had any of that back in the day, but just a different era. <clears throat> um, and when it got to the point of, so what I decided to do was just keep writing and recording demos. And I was almost at the point of putting out, putting it out as London falling and I had actually talked to my buddy Ronnie, who played bass on a bunch of stuff. My buddy Ronnie, he played bass on a bunch of stuff. Even Paul from Good Charlotte was playing on the early demos for me, playing bass and stuff. Um, Ronnie was like, "These are mess songs. Like, why? Why don't you just put it out as messed?" And like, I had I had been thinking that, but once he said it, it, just sort of clicked in my head. Like, this is a mess record. Like, that's what this is. And so, um, fuck, maybe it was too two years ago probably about two years ago when i hit up the guys i said hey i have this record written like you know i i, I think if we're going to keep playing shows even here and there it'd be cool to put out some new music for the people that are still interested that still give a shit that are still coming to the shows to see us play the fucking <clears throat> the four old records you know five records whatever it is um and so just talk to the guys a little bit more about it and Everybody was just sort of like, yeah, fuck it. Like, let's just do it, you know? So 
Um, the initial talks were, you know, right after we'd done that first show, but that sort of went to rest for a while. And then after I had written enough songs where I was like, okay, I got to make a decision is when I decided, you know, it makes sense to put it out as a mess record because that's essentially what it was, you know. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask that, too, um, about London Falling. I, I, I remember seeing you guys on the Three-Headed Monster tour. I uh, saw you playing on there. So, I mean, that sounds like then, I mean, that I was going to ask if you ever planned on doing anything with that again, but does, that sounds like basically then that's morphed into the new mess then. It's not, it's not something that you're really doing as a side project. It became what this is now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first single and video that we put out, for, that's the same title as the record, uh, Masquerade, that was one of the songs that I had written, you know, for the London Falling project. But that's why when I was writing, I was like, you know, I'm not going to put a classification on what these songs are, whether it's London Falling or Mass. I'm just going to write. And when I get to that point, I'll decide. So, yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, a lot of those songs made this record for sure. And then musically for you and the and the rest of the guys in Mess, I mean, when you were like recording this or, or really, I mean, actually, even before that, I mean, like rehearsal wise for those first shows, I mean, after it being so long, I mean, how did you guys did you guys click right away musically or did that take time to kind of like work out the kinks? I mean, how long had that been since you had played with those guys? Um, our first rehearsal was at Matt's place when he still lived. Uh, he lived in this town next to where we grew up. Um place uh like pretty much in bull island um it had been 10 years since we ran in a room together and we got in that room and started playing and it was like it's like riding a bike man when you have done it for as long as we did we were a band for 12 years before we separated anyways we had toured consistently five or six years before we separated um you know, when you play these songs so many fucking times, it's sort of like you sit down, you listen to the record, forget a couple of things, remember a couple of things, put it together, get together and work it out. And it was pretty, pretty much there the second we got back together. A lot of muscle memory there, it sounds like. Then. Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as you don't overthink shit. I mean, even to this day, it's, it's muscle memory where I'm on stage and I could be thinking a different thought, playing the guitar, singing the song. And as long as I don't go, oh, hey, what part's next? then I'm fine. I just let my fucking, let the body do what it's supposed to do. <laughs> let the brain sing the words and, and it all comes out, you know? From from an outside perspective, I mean, it did seem like for a while that maybe this lineup, like like it didn't seem like you guys going to play shows or record together again. I mean, was that, does that ever, was there ever a time where you didn't think that was going to happen? Or, you know, like, I mean, did this oh, come as a surprise to you at all? I would say 100% up until that text message between me and my cousin i never thought we'd play together again oh wow so then you know like as far as as far as recording masquerade when you guys did get to that where did you end up recording that at so we recorded it out here in um california um i believe the studio is in technically costa mesa um cameron webb he's produced i worked with cameron like 10 years ago um maybe longer than that maybe 08 i went in and did some demos with him so when it came time to pick a new producer, I thought about a different couple of people, contacted a couple of people, and then I, I thought about Cameron again, and he's such a fucking cool guy and just a genuinely nice, fun guy to be around. And when making a record, you need to do that because you spend a lot of confined time together. So if you want it to be a fun process, you got to have those types of people around you. And he's one of those producers that's very laid back, really chill. He's about making you 
the best that you can be. Um, not necessarily what he thinks is best. He will obviously give his opinions and push when it is a certain part, but he's not so much of like, I'm making this record. I'm producing it. This is the way it has to be. Um, he's more about, you know, there'd be times where I go, fuck, okay, I can do this or do this right here. What should I do? And he would go, well, without overthinking it, what would you do? You know, real simple, like just like psychology, like fucking with you, you know, like, what would you do? Don't overthink it. Um, so yeah, we recorded with Cameron Webb at his studio, Maple Studios in Costa Mesa. I was in there for about two months with him. Um, we worked four or five days a week. Um, we both have family, so we took weekends off, holidays off, because we did it right around November, December is when we recorded it. Um, but and then what we did was, uh, with the demos, the, the songs were pretty much there already. So I sent the demos to the guys, and I said, okay, here's the songs learn your parts with the drumming stuff like that like i've always written a lot of the drum stuff on the records um when me and nick would get together because when you're writing guitar parts you i'm a drummer too um i would have a concept for drum parts anyway so i'd be like okay i'm doing this on guitar so write you know something to this or i would always ha or have something already made up and if nick was like that sounds good then he would just be like okay stick with that so when writing the songs a lot of the drum stuff was already there um but if it was just a fill or something uh you know, I would be like, okay, I mean, as long as you do something that goes to the music, you know, do what Nick would do, you know, stuff like that. So they all came out on individual weekends, um, spent one or two days out and did their parts. And for the most part, the most stuff that's different from the, the demos to the actual record is all the bass stuff. Like I, I don't really get all intricate when I'm doing the bass on the demos, single note shit, or if there's a certain part where I, I want an idea where I think of something like, oh, this would be cool here or something that goes to the drums. I'll write something, but <clears throat> Matt's a really good bassist. And what's cool about when Matt was doing the bass stuff was that, um, like I started listening to the record back when I was getting mixes. And I remember writing my cousin once and being like, dude, there's some fucking awesome bass lines on this record. Like some, I love some of the shit. And he couldn't remember anything because he went in there and it was sort of like, he knew the root notes and then he just sort of had to play around it. And I was like, there's something special to that where obviously you can sit with a song for weeks at a time or you could write a part over and over and over again but if you just play what comes natural like it's just going to be just as good as the other four things you come up with why not just go with that instinct and so that's what he was doing a lot and a lot of the shit came out really cool because it wasn't overthought it was just like what felt natural what went you know what sounded good there and so that, that was the most from the demos to the record was letting Matt just sort of do his thing you know which it's easier for me I don't you know I can play the single notes and go, okay, now you write the bass shit, you know? I feel, the structure is there. I feel like not overthinking it. I know you mentioned that a couple of times. Same with, uh, same with working with Cameron. I mean, I think that makes sense, too, because it's not like you guys are a new band. It's like, I mean, you, you obviously, shit's worked in the past, so it's like, you know, don't, don't overthink it or try to become, you know, like a totally different band or anything. Kind of like works what's worked for you in the past, it sounds like. Right. Like, I didn't need, knowing that Cameron was a little bit more of a laid-back producer, it was easier for me to work with because I had had these songs written and essentially produced for a couple of years now where, you know, I would write and rewrite certain parts and trim stuff off or change a bridge or do something to the point that where I got the song to exactly where I wanted it to be anyways. So when it was, even when it came time to pick the songs, there was a couple of songs left over. Um, I think I had about 17 songs written for the record, something like that. And I went in with him, we sat in the studio and listened to each song. 
and we went through and it was sort of hard to pick the songs because Cameron was like, they're all there. They're all good songs, you know? And so essentially he let me pick the songs that I thought would best fit the record. Um, there was one song on the record called These Streets, which is very different than the rest of the record, but <coughs> we've always done that. Um, we are obviously a, a, like a punk rock band at the core, but um, I've always liked bands like The Clash and shit like that, and bands that sort of show some of their other musical influence. And on each one of our records, you can listen to songs like Reasons on uh, Destination Unknown, which is a full reggae song, you know, with Monique from Safe Ferris singing on it. Um, Keys are Moving On is a full reggae song. The guys from No Doubt played horns on it. Um, Cadillac, obviously, is a, is a pop song, but with this like super heavy, almost like a, a metal sounding riff in it. Um, so there's always a couple songs on each record that have that little bit of a different feel to it than the typical pop punk stuff. So um, when we were doing the song called The Streets, the guys were hesitant at first, and then it really grew on them, and they were like, no, this makes sense. This, this needs to go on the record. And Cameron was very, uh, very stern about this song needs to be on the record because this is the song that, that makes you guys that different band than the rest of the bands in your genre. You guys do this stuff, and a lot of the other bands just play 12 pop punk songs on the record. You know, and we were never that band. So um, he essentially did, you know, let me pick the songs and on the record. But he was he was stoked on all of them. So there's a couple left over now. That that makes sense too. Like that song, um, like these streets. I I do like that, and it kind of catches you off guard, like at first when you hear it in a way. But it does work really well. And then like like you just said, and I guess I never thought of it. You do kind of have that, like on every mess record. There's like at least one or two songs where you go, oh shit, like yeah, that's not just a straight up like punk song but it ends i think i feel like it works in the scheme of it all like it does work well on the album and like you were like you were saying a lot of these songs on masquerade you know you had pretty fine-tuned before you went in kind of back in the day though like when you would write them and bring them in like where did you like i like the drumming part i never even realized like you were doing like you know that you kind of wrote that stuff prior like would you go in back in the day as well and mostly have the songs pretty much realized when you brought them to the guys or i mean would you kind of bring in ideas and then go from there, you know, and kind of like work off one another. Back in the day, I had the songs written, but we would then sort of break them up a little bit more. And when it would come to going, okay, the first verse, the second verse, okay, we don't want to repeat the exact same thing. So let's, you know, drop out one of the guitars and have it, you know, have this guitar playing this riff as opposed to just the rhythm. And we would do a little bit more of that stuff back in the day in the studio because I wasn't able to do that shit at home. Um, I didn't have a Pro Tools or a mini studio or anything like that. So there was a little bit left open for interpretation within the, within the making of the record, but the songs themselves were pretty much 80% written as far as melodies, choruses, stuff like that. And then, But there were other songs too that we would take that maybe I had just a chorus for and a melody or and, um, like, you know, the, the, guitar, uh, the chords written for the verses, but then it was like, okay, now i got to write some melodies and some words. And I would do that in the studio a little bit more. But I had more time and I have access to being able to structure the songs more now. So back then, if I had the access, I probably would have did it more back then too. But, you know, well, left it a little more open. It's crazy to kind of think that, isn't it, too? Like, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years to, like, some of those records, how much has changed that you can do a lot of that shit now yourself, like, where it wasn't really as possible before? Like, didn't it... I know you put out those uh, those a couple acoustic records a while ago, didn't you? Like, didn't you self produce those? Yeah, I did. 
uh, Broken Doubt and Broken Doubt 2. I did myself in this. Well, I went in the studio with a friend on the first one for a couple of the songs. Um, and then did the rest of them just at my home studio. Um, I have that accessibility now, you know. And But there are even stuff. There's stuff on this new record, Masquerade, that um, that went straight from the demo onto the record. Because Cameron was like, the parts sound good. Like, they're recorded good. Let's just put this in. You know, if there's a guitar lead or uh, a verse stuff where I maybe had some different um, different sounds or stuff going that I did on the keyboard, shit like that. Um, that we use straight from the demo right onto the record. Oh, wow. Do you, do you ever work with other bands? Or, I mean, you just mostly kind of record your own stuff. Um, I've produced a couple songs here and there throughout the years and done some cameos on some songs and um, stuff like that here and there. I'm always open to that stuff. Um, but uh, it's just randomly if a band hits me up and they're like, can you sing on this song or co-write this or do whatever? Um, it just always depends if I, if I like the band if i like the song stuff like that you know nice and then the band the band recently did put out a music video for the title track masquerade and uh, i saw at the end of it that your name was on there that you did some of the behind the scenes work what what did you do on that uh on the video i think it came out really well yeah i i wrote the whole treatment and directed it with uh my buddy alex who um was the camera guy um i obviously because he knows angles properly and stuff like that um let him do his thing but when it came to the the treatment of it i wrote the whole storyline had the vision for it and was able to you know explain to him exactly what i was looking for so there was times when we'd be shooting stuff and like on the first day we were we started out with actually the last shot that's in the music video we did that first and then as they were on the bed waking up together i was like you know it'd be cool as if we during the last chorus where it's, you know, the fast part where we started doing flashing shots of like them in bed having sex and like her hooking up or whatever, you know, like, and so I was like, what if we did this? And I like stood on the bed and had the camera. I was like, this angle seems cool. And like showed him different stuff. And he was very open to it. Stuff that worked. He was like, yeah, that looks great. You know? So, and then I did fucking set design. I went on Amazon and bought a bunch of shit that I needed to get for this rehearsal spot and used it and then returned it. Um, you know, like <laughs> smart man. We, yeah, um, budgets, man. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote and, you know, co-directed that, that whole video. And we actually have another two videos that I wrote and co-directed um, that look fucking awesome. And so we'll be releasing those within, you know, the next couple months as time goes on. And there's a reason to release them. Oh, that's really rad. I mean, is this the first time that you've worked, like, behind the scenes on videos? Or have you done this with, like, some of the best videos in the past at all? So... I have because most of the video treatments I, I wrote, like I wrote the Jaded treatment. Um, but back in that day when you had a major label involved and really big budgets, when they were hiring a director who they're paying a lot of money to, then it was, okay, well, he knows what he's doing. So you got to be, you know, you don't want to step on anybody's toes when they're hired to do their job. Um, but I was always putting my fucking two cents in and looking for certain things and certain shots and making sure that the storyline comes out to the best of what I was envisioning. Because when you write a treatment, you can write it down and you can do a storyboard. But then at the end of the day, when, when another director comes in and a producer and then the editor, they're not maybe going to see exactly what you're seeing. Not that anybody's right or anybody's wrong, but 
you, you, once you, you're seeing something in your head, you can't fucking, there's only so much that how you, so much you can explain to somebody. Um, but with this video, obviously it was a little bit easier for me to get exactly what I wanted. And in my opinion, I think it's the best video that we fucking have put out. And it's, if I could only tell you how much this video costs, as opposed to when we were doing like Cadillac back in the day and the budgets were like <laughs> 200, like literally $200,000. I think Holy we spent like shit. I mean, we spent $230,000 on the Cadillac video, and it's just like, what the fuck were we doing now? But that was back when people were still buying records and the business was booming, and, you know, it's all relative to what was coming in and what was going out. I mean, it's kind of probably the same, like, even recording records. Like, I mean, you know, there there was a Absolutely. time where, yeah, think of, like, how much it fucking costs to record a record in the 90s, early 2000s, whatever, and now, like, we're talking about it. It's like, yeah, I demoed shit in my house, and then it made it on the, like, record. Like, you can you can do that now, which is just insane when you think about it, you know? Right, well, because you can get the sound quality, too. So it's like, you know, and it sucks for, for producers and for people that own these studios, you know, these million-dollar studios, because with technology now, you can get same fucking good sound in your bedroom that you can in a real studio you know like you record real if you if you do i mean there's so many bands like all the bands that are on all the the couple of indie labels that are left um so many of those records have not a single real drum on them um we definitely wanted to do real drums on our records that's what we're used to but so many of those records it's it's all programmed drums but even when we were doing real drums you still use samples and you mix it in you know if you you get your snare sound to the to best of your ability but then you take samples and you take like a fatter snare and then a high-end sounding snare and you blend them all together with the live recording to make it sound the best that it can you know but nowadays bands are just doing straight <clears throat> just straight samples you know like because people don't know and it sounds fucking good you know oh yeah you wouldn't know how i mean half there's so many bands in the last few years that I've interviewed where, yeah, that's the same, like, most of that shit's recorded at home. Like, you know, so, like, things that you wouldn't expect, I'd go, like, oh, this is your best-sounding record. Where'd you record it? It's, like, my bedroom. It's it's well, insane. Yeah. If you get a couple of good fucking preamps and compressors, decent mics, record your drums, and then take something like the Steven Slate samples and layer them in with your drums, you're going to get just as good fucking drums. That's just the way it is. And kind of talking about production as well, I mean, probably most people know, like, John Feldman produced your first couple records, and if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you guys, I think we're one of the first bands he produced outside of Goldfinger. I mean, how'd you guys end up starting working with him? Yeah, he um, he signed a friend of ours band called Show Off um, that were from Chicago um, back in, I think he did his their record in 99, maybe. Um and I had just reached out to him going to shows and shit like that. But yeah, so I just reached out to him because he was working with Show Off and went to one of the shows that Show Off had opened up for them and talked to him about us playing with him and stuff. And I was like, yeah, you, you know, last time we were in town, you said that we could play with you this day. He's like, oh, sorry, man, here, keep in touch with me. So next time that we come through, you know, make sure that you get on the show and gave me his fucking home phone number. And oh, wow. I didn't know the guy yet, which was very strange strange thing so i guess maybe it was just sort of meant to be but yeah so he um he ended up um i just kept sending him demos here and there and he heard a couple songs that he was like all right this is this is good and called me up when i was like i don't know 18 or 19 i was actually over at my girlfriend's house at the time 
and her phone rang around two in the morning because I was in Chicago time. He was in California time. And he uh, was like, hey, you still playing a mess? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right. Well, I, gotta, I can do a demo deal in a couple of months once I finish the show off record. And we'll get out here and record some demos and try to get a deal going. And I was like, all right. A couple of months later, called me up. And he's like, all right, I got it all sorted out and flew out to fucking California and recorded four songs. And then a week later, we were signed. Oh, wow. And then the uh, the first album you guys did with them, Wasting Time, I know that uh, just hit its 20th anniversary and you guys ended up playing that album. Um, were there any songs before before playing that show, what it was like a month or so ago, were there any songs off that record you'd never played live before? Plenty. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a ton. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was a lot of songs off of that record that we had never played live before. Because when we, even when the record came out, we were on the road, obviously opening for a lot of bands. So we would, you know, play eight songs um, because, it's, you know, we had the 30-minute set, stuff like that. So we were doing a lot of um Lot, very very short sets so to speak and then by the time we did as much touring uh you know that we could possibly do on that record before it was time to go and record a new record um right before i want to say right before destination unknown came out um i don't know I mean, i'm trying to think when we did our first headlining tour how far into destination unknown it was um but I think we were headlining when Destination Unknown came out. So then we had a whole nother batch of songs. So at that point we had, you know, 30 songs, something like that to pick from to make a set. So, I mean, we, we ended up doing the same thing with, uh, we played Destination Unknown front to back and we played our self-titled third record front to back in Chicago a couple of years ago on a Friday and Saturday night. And same thing, a lot of songs we had never played live before. So which for me is fun because then it's like for all the fans that have been coming to every single show and sort of hear the songs that we normally play and then maybe a couple of different ones here and there, there are songs that they've never heard live. So it's a treat for them because then they hear a song they've never heard live. And for me, it's fun because I'm playing a song that I'm, you know, it's not just playing fucking drawing board for the 2000th time. (laughs) Yeah, I, so. I assume when you make sets, I mean, that has to be somewhat hard because I'm sure you feel like there's certain obligations in set lists, you know, like songs you have to play. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's the fan favorites, so you want to play those. And then you also have to write a set that makes sense, too, because you're putting on a show. So it's sort of got to be like a fucking roller coaster ride. So you have to write a proper set that makes sense to, you know, to entertain for an hour, so to speak. That makes sense. I mean, it's almost like sequencing a record. It's like you can't just throw these songs together. You know, you kind of have to have a flow to it. That that makes sense. Um, right, and that's that's what makes it easier for us too. When 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 doing that with the record is that we have a couple of those different songs, so it's easy to put that listing of songs together on the record. You know. And we were talking about earlier, like, and you were saying when you guys got back together you know, it clicks right away and the muscle memory and all that. How about for those songs, like you said, that you didn't play before? I mean, did it take time to kind of learn some of that shit again that, like, you'd never played? Like, were there songs on there that you totally forgot about until it was time to rehearse them? Yeah, when we when we decided to do this Wasting Time, we did the uh, essentially a record release show January 18th. Uh record came out the 17th. Is when we played that Wasting Time front to back. And 
there was definitely like I remember the first time I put the headphones in and plugged in my Kemper and started playing along to those songs that it was like, okay, what the fuck is this? But <laughs> even the songs that we had never played live, the muscle memory of rehearsing them so many times as we were writing them and recording them sort of came back to me quicker than I, way quicker than I thought it would, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously you have, you have to, you have to work out the kinks when it's a song that you've never played together live before. If it's a song like Drawing Board, I mean, honestly, that's a song that we can <clears throat> not even rehearse together for a couple months and make it fly out to L.A. And, you know, we could play that song perfectly live because we played it so many times. That Kemper, I know you just mentioned that. Do you play that live at all? Do you, do you use the Kemper live as well? Yeah, that's what I yeah, I've been using Kemper now for like five years. Oh, okay. I was about to ask if you like if you like those. I always wonder with people. I mean, they seem neat. I've never used one, but I always wondered that. So you can get pretty, uh, like, like off all those albums. You have like kind of all your tones and shit like in there, so you can go like, okay, this setting when I play songs off this record and whatnot. Yeah, you know what's cool about the Kemper too is I remember because we were playing Burning Bridges for the first time, um, and that sort of has this like clash feel to it just like not clear reggae sounding guitar but a, a semi-distorted sort of more rock reggae sounding um pattern in it and so what i did was i had my kemper plugged in and i was playing uh i was playing burning bridges through my um, studio speakers and i'd listen to it and then i would start playing and then play through my kemper and start fucking with the tone and getting it so that you know there's a the proper amount of gain and you know high end in it so that it sounded like the record but to be able to, to be able to a b it through speakers like that through listening to a record you can really get that sound because then when i go and i plug it in all this shit saves obviously it's like a fucking computer so then when i go and play it live it's coming through the speakers big venue the same way that i was listening to it so it has that real you know sound from the record it's it's, it's easy to a and b shit you know i like that, that that's cool as far as going back to wasting time for a second, you know, what, what's your favorite song off that one? If you had to pick one, um, it's always really hard to pick favorite songs. Um, off of wasting time. Uh, I really like the song wasting my time. Um, drawing boards on that record. Um, we never played last time until we started doing, uh, until we did, until we did the 20th anniversary show. And I realized I like that song a lot. Like Electric Baby a lot, playing that live is cool because it has that 50s groove to it. Like, you know, it was, I, I rediscovered a lot of songs off that record that I liked. I didn't realize how much I liked by us having to play them live. How about on the new one? I, I know you said it's hard to pick one. Is there is there one like specifically on the new record you like the most or even proudest of? Um, you know, I really like Masquerade because I think that it's like that. I, I just got lucky and wrote like that sort of perfect like pop punk sounding song with, with it lyrically and you know not being too pop more punk than pop but good melodies so I really like the way Masquerade turned out I like the production in it um, but I, I really like the silence left behind for some reason um, I, I've had that song for a while and it used to be a full rock song and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with it and then I sort of started breaking it down a little bit more. And then I was thinking about like one of my all time favorite records is uh, Dookie by Green Day, which I think is a lot of people's favorite records. Oh yeah. Um, 
on that record, the last song on the record, um, Fuck Off and Die, F-O-D, um, it's got a really cool broken down whole song to the very end. And so I started thinking about that. I was like, what would be a cool last song on the record? And I already had this concept for, for to break down the silent stuff behind a little bit more and not make it a full rock song. And I was like, that would make it perfect to put that song last on the record. So then I started working on the song more and it, I just, I just like the way it came out. I like the lyrics, like, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's like asking what your, who your favorite kid is. I'm sure, <laughs> it, you know, like at some point the one kid's pissing you off more than the other. So you like that kid more, but eventually you like them all equally. That makes sense. Um, you know, like, like you said, some of the shit got canceled right now because of the virus. When you guys can start playing together and again, I mean, I know even without the original lineup, you might still go do other shows. I mean, you're going to, you're going to tore off this record a little bit. Yeah, that was the plan. I mean, um, I was talking with the Bowling for Soup guys the other night. Uh, Jared and the boys do like a live thing. And um, Adrian, who plays guitar with me, he he lives with me too. He was doing it with him and I came home from a, a hike with the family. And I was talking to those guys and I, I was like, you know, it couldn't have been a worse time. Like we, we waited 15 years to put out a, a new record together and it couldn't have been in a worse time because <laughs> the fucking record comes out and then we can't get on the road we had one show planned in april with the original lineup to come out and play wasting time out here in uh orange county and obviously that's pushed back now i mean it is with the classic lineup too you know the new record's out but you know at after you you finish recording and all that i mean could you see you guys doing this as well in the future i mean is this going to kind of keep going with the lineup kind of playing shows here and there with them maybe even recording from time to time um yeah, I mean, we're always going to play shows here and there, whatever we can do. Schedules are really hard because of families, and Nick's got two kids. Matt's got a daughter, and his job occupies so much of his time. Um, it's really hard to even get together, but we're going to do it as much as we can. And, and you know, and the guys that play with me on tour um, are fucking great dudes. And, um, you know, we did a lot of touring last year. We did over 50 shows. We did four uh, tours. We did Mill and Colin, Less Than Jake, <clears throat> the co-headliner of Bowling for Soup and Real Big Fish. And we did um, support for uh, Real Big Fish. So we did a good amount of touring. And I was with the other guys, you know, my touring guys. And, you know, I can honestly, nobody's ever come up and complained. You know, like, obviously, it's cool for people that want to just see the four guys up on stage again. I get it. But, um, you know, if you look at every single band that's still around and still touring they either have additional members or different members like oh absolutely goldfinger mxpx green day rancid the used less than jake real big fish um the ataris hawthorne heights um i mean i could go on and on every single fucking band so it's not as if we're doing anything different you know like it's just what happens. Saves the day. I think there's all different guys. You know, everybody. Oh, yeah. I don't think you can be a band for like, like after a certain amount of time of being a band, that's just going to happen. I mean, I, I think that's pretty natural. Like you were saying, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. And on, I've seen you guys a few times live only with those guys, too. I've never seen the uh, OG lineup. And I mean, it doesn't change anything. You're still the mess show. There's still the mess songs, you know, and I feel like yeah. you, I feel like you get pretty tight uh, guys, too. They always do. Uh, you know, I feel like they do it justice and everything. For, Absol- absolutely i mean that's the one thing i love about the guys too is they know like wh- they know what the mess show was back in the day so 
I'm like, if you're going to do this with me, like there was an intensity to our live show, which is how we built our career essentially. Cause we didn't have, you know, radio play and TRL and shit like that. So we built our show grassroots style of, of playing shows and earning fans live. And I feel like it's our fucking due diligence to get on stage and, and perform the way that we did when we were 20 years old, even with all my fucking bad problems, I'm still up there jumping around and putting on a show and, you know, entertaining the way we're supposed to. So these guys know that that's part of the live show. And it's the same, you know, like a lot, dude, I'm telling you, some people don't even realize it's not <laughs> the guys <laughs> up there, to be honest. Hey, so. that, 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 nothing wrong with that. For, yeah. for photographs, you know, that, that does turn 15 this year. You guys have been doing anniversary shows. My buddy Ryan wanted me to ask, I mean, do you, do you see yourselves playing that album front to back at all? Um, fuck i don't know maybe down the line but um the anniversary shows per se are coming up a lot quicker on the other three records and we have a new record coming out um not to mention fuck i can't even even on the all of the touring that we did last year i don't think there was a single song in the set from photographs oh like really we to, yeah we used to play um take me away that dropped out of the set we used to play uh kiss me kill me when jeremiah was was consistently on tour with me um but then he just didn't want to sing it anymore randomly um so we started playing that song and then we'd play last kiss from that record um and that sort of dropped out of the set too so uh you know who knows who knows maybe Maybe I I will let him know that he'll be he'll he'll at least be he would be stoked for that guys I think I think people would like to hear those songs, but the new uh like on the new record like you were saying I mean you're writing these songs for London Falling that kind of sounded like uh kind of like mess songs for you writing like like I mean do songs just kind of come out you know what I mean like when you write something is that just how you write or do you do you feel like you were kind of going for a certain sound on this or does it just kind of come out that way you know what I mean. Um, when I started writing more of just the punk rock songs again, it, it was, it's just a natural thing. Um, just sit down and start playing some chords, humming a melody, putting some structure together. It, it was a pretty natural, just like, you know, I've written, which I mean, at this point, Mest has, uh, seven records out, I think with the, the four and then the person we did on our own five, four, five, yeah, seven four, five, six, seven records. So it's a natural, it's just a natural way of writing, you know? And as we're closing up here, you know, I mean, every, everyone's kind of stuck inside right now. Obviously everyone should go check out the new Mest record, but you got any music recommendations? I mean, what are you listening to lately? Any, anything you tell people to go check out while they're bored in ho- at home? I haven't been listening to anything, man. I, um, well, you know, new record that I've listened to recently because it just came out. My friends in a band called The Suicide Machines just put out a new record on Fat Records. Um, Jason was on last week. He was our guest last week. We talked all oh, about nice. it. It's a great awesome. fucking record. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is. I listened to it. We played uh, We played Bags in the Backyard the other night, and so I put it on, and I loved it. It was like instant Suicide Machines. I loved that band growing up, um, and they're friends of ours. They live in Detroit, Nick. Um, Nick was in a band with Rich, the bassist, for a while, side project and stuff. So we're good friends with those guys. And, uh, yeah, that record's really good. Um, I really liked the new Mill and Colin record. It was fucking good. Um, 
you know, when I put on my Spotify, it's just all the old shit that I listen to, you know, I just Mo- mostly same. punk. I mean, is there anything you listen to, I guess would surprise people or you kind of keep to like the classic punk and, you know, shit like that. I always say like, so there's like a couple records and I always says like, I grew up listening to CCR because my old man, Green Clearwater Revival. Oh, great band. I loved the Meatloaf record, Bad Out of Hell, from back in the day. <laughs> nice. Um, I love the Fray. I think they're a great band. I mean, this is like different stuff, you know. That um, there was a Maroon Five record a couple years ago that I listened to a lot. Um, uh, but for the most part, you know, I just put on the classics. That's there's so many of them, you know. So. Oh yeah. So you know, we're closing up here. New Mest record out and everything. So where can people find you online? Where can they find Mest online? Where you can go grab the new record? You know, all that good stuff. You want to kind of promote that here? Yeah. So my Instagram is Anthony Lovato, L-O-V-A-T-O. Um, our Instagram is the the official Mest, I believe. Um, M-E-S-T. Our merch store is Mest.LimitedRun.com. Um, new records obviously on Spotify, iTunes, all that shit. Uh, but if you want to order vinyl and stuff like that, that's on our merch store. Um, and then I think this Saturday I'm gonna do a stage it concert, sort of pay what you can, get in for free, watch it. It's like cam girls for like musicians. Um, <laughs> pay what you can, sort of thing. We, I mean, we're screwed with touring this year. Income's gonna be a hard thing to fucking stay afloat so just gotta do things like that so we'll probably have a, i'll have a couple of rewards and shit that people the highest tippers get like maybe like a signed vinyl because we have a couple different vinyls that were only involved with the kickstarter different covers different color uh vinyl i put one of those up signed as one of the prizes just shit like that so it'll be stage it uh i think stage it.com is the site you go to but i'm gonna do that this saturday just for fun Oh, that's cool. And, uh, you know, I mean, any anything else, like, project-wise? Are you working on anything else outside of Mest right now? No, um, I'll probably, I'm, I'm going to start writing some stuff soon, probably record some of these songs acoustic just for, to release for free, just for people to listen to. Um, but when I write, I sort of go down a rabbit hole, so I sort of, you know, I just record, uh, took a while to write, so just sort of going to focus on, uh, promoting this record more so and then uh, eventually get around to you know recording some demos and see where it goes well very nice we're gonna play a couple songs off masquerade right now we'll start with the title track uh i mean the chorus of it like you were saying i I feel like i feel like you did hit something with this i feel like there's a classic kind of pop punk sound but it's not too pop it's not too punky but you and that chorus is just goddamn catchy so right now here is the title track off masquerade here is masquerade right here on the power chord hour
right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. That was messed with There's No Basement at the Alamo. And before that was messed with the title track off their new record, Masquerade. I want to thank Tony again for calling in and doing that. Had a blast talking with him. And I love I love the new record. It is so, so good. You just heard two songs off of it. You heard me and Tony talk about it quite a bit. So uh, what are you waiting for? Go check it out. Really, really good stuff. And I want to thank my buddy Ryan for asking that. Uh, shout out to Ryan for uh, asking that that question about the photographs tour. He uh, actually owns one of Jeremiah's old uh, guitars. If you're a Mest fan, you'll get a kick out of this. He owns Jeremiah's old Fernandez. And uh, I've, I've gotten to play it and I've gotten to hold it. Uh, I'll have to post some pictures on the uh, Power Chord Hour, like on the Instagram. and I, I don't know, all over our social media, I'll, I'll have to throw it up there. I have a picture of me with that and a headband. I'm not sure why I'm wearing it. But uh, in the picture, uh, a little behind the scenes for you, when you when you see said picture, the uh, the weird looking headband on my head. Not sure why I'm wearing it in that picture, but uh, I found that in a 7-Eleven parking lot one night, and it was wet. And I'm not sure why. I don't remember it raining. Actually, I take that back. Maybe it was raining. I I, I think that was why it was wet. I hope that's why. And, uh, and yeah, for some reason that, that, uh, that headband that I found, which is obviously a child's headband, um, it's on my head and I'm holding Jeremiah's Fernandez, the, uh, guitar that you see like in all of the OG messed videos and, uh, you know, them, them like, uh, playing live, you see in a lot of those and, uh, same guitar and my buddy Ryan owns it. Can't remember how he got it. I, I, I think he got it through someone who knew, Jeremiah or something. I, I can't remember the story anymore, but uh yeah, he uh he's owned it now for I don't know, like five or six years and it's really, really cool. And I was so stoked that I got to play it like four years ago. So a shout out to my dude Ryan and uh, go check out his band Fakey Fakey while we're at it. Go check out Fakey Fakey, really, really good Chicago pop punk. Just like messed, really, really good Chicago pop punk band. So uh, go check them out. And that's going to be this week's episode. Thank you so much for checking it out. And stay connected with the show. We're at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify. And uh, we also have the radio show every Friday night on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. Check out the Power Chord Hour radio show. I uh, spin you tons of music, uh, do interviews, all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I play you a lot more punk and alternative. So uh, listen to that every Friday night, you know, while you're stuck at home. And you can listen to that from anywhere. Go check out WRFALP.com, and you can stream the station there. And uh, also, WRFA has a mobile app if you got iPhone. So go in the App Store and search WRFA. You'll find it there, and you can stream the station on there as well. Check out the radio show every Friday night at 10 Eastern on there. And also check out our Spotify music playlist every week where I put up the playlist of the music that I'm playing on the radio show. And uh, every now and then we'll do some other special playlists on there. I uh, I did one not too long ago. If you haven't heard our Blink-182 episode, uh, not not interviewing them, though, I, I'd love to do that, uh, you know, someday. But uh, talking, me and me and my buddies, uh, Kyle Steven and Zach Gorsheski, talking our top five favorite Blink-182 songs. And uh, that's a few episodes back, but uh, we also made an accompanying uh, playlist with all the songs that we mentioned in there. So go check that out. We have tons and tons of playlists. So, I mean, you know, you're stuck in the house right now. You're bored. You want to discover new music, you know, maybe discover old stuff you'd never heard before. Maybe rediscover things you've forgotten about. Just hear things that you love. All that stuff. You can find it on the Power Chord Hour Spotify page. 
and uh, follow us there. Rate and subscribe to the podcast if you would. That'd be very, very rad. And uh, if you do, hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. I'll send you. I have a couple Power Chord Hour t-shirts left, size large, and uh, I have some Power Chord Hour pins, and uh, I'll send you some. Let me know that you rated and reviewed the uh you know, the podcast on, I don't know, Apple iTunes. I don't know where else you leave. When I say that, I guess I mean, uh, Apple, Apple podcasts, but I mean, where, wherever you can leave reviews, please go leave it. So, uh, you know, there, there's that, but, uh, thank you very much for checking out this week's episode. Check back next Monday. We'll have another one for you. And until then for the power cord hour, I'm Anthony merchant. Thanks for listening.